10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Borodar Pab, Chrysori Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. And tonight we are talking handwriting. I'm joined by Nikki Parr from Better Handwritten, Sue Smiths from Morals Handwriting, uh, handwriting experts and educators uh, to talk about is neatness enough? Do leading strokes make a difference? Pen grips, pen licenses, and do I need to worry about it in a digital age? Join us, tune in, talk it out. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Borodar Pab, Chrysori Abatawi. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. And as you heard in my introduction there, we are talking tonight about handwriting. Um, it has been a journey for me. I tweeted out earlier this week um, that I had um, really uh, kind of hit a wall. I had a question, I think it started last week, about whether I should be trying to improve the handwriting of some of my learners I work with. And it took me down a, down a route um, that has brought me so many extra questions. And so I've taken the liberty of inviting a couple of guests with us um, to talk to me about it. Now, I can see um, Sue is already with us. Sue, can you hear me? You might need to unmute yourself uh, because I clicked the mute button there. Hi there, Nathan. It's Sue Smith. Good evening. Hello. I, I can hear you coming in loud and clear. And I think on the other line, it might be Nikki. Are you there, Nikki? Hello. 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 Yep, we can hear oh, you, you loud me. and clear. Um, yep, so um, I've got both my guests with me. Um, I welcome both of you um, to uh, Teachers Talk Radio. And I have said we're going to be talking about handwriting. Um, uh, so I guess it's best that we start off. And if we start off with um, Sue, if we talk a little bit about introducing yourselves, telling us what you currently do, um, I guess your career journey up to this point um, before we get on with our conversation. So Sue. Thanks, Nathan. Yes, I'm the founder of Morel's Handwriting. Um, I'm a handwriting expert with over 16 years of experience in teaching handwriting in schools. Um, I'm also the author and publisher of the Morel's Handwriting books. And I, I teach early years, primary school children, teenagers and adults as well. My oldest student is 82. Um, he'd never been to school before and he wanted to learn how to write. And I think that just proves that you're never too old to learn how to write. Um, I also train school teachers and I train trainee school teachers, undergraduates, PGCE uh, students. And I do that locally at the Worcester University. Fan. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Really interesting. And I'm really interested, you know, I'm sure I'll be probing you a little bit about that, those older learners, I say older learners, I guess, you know, developmentally, I, I, I'm unsure of the words, but you know, <laughs> what we do, because we often think about handwriting for, for younger children. Um, yes. People will be familiar with it lower down the school. So I'll be really interested in that. We've also got Nikki Parr here. Uh, Nikki, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started? 
Hello, Nathan. Hi, Sue. It's really good to be with you. Thank, thanks very much for inviting me. Um, I do love to talk about handwriting. So, um, uh, so yes, my background is predominantly classroom-based. Um, I was a um, classroom teacher for 25 years, so eight years in um, a small village school, one form entry, and then the next 17 years in a three-form, which became four-form uh, primary in a, in a town school. And uh, so my background, uh, I started uh, Better Handwritten just a couple of years ago, um, following, uh, following a similar, an episode really relating to what Sue just said, where I was, um, I was in, in a business group and uh, connected with um, my now, my co-founder of Better Handwritten, um, Ian Kerbishley. And at that point, um, Ian, a very brilliant, very successful businessman, uh, was reaching out and, and, and saying that he was very frustrated about his handwriting and would, would anybody be able to um, give him some tips on on helping with that and and that's really how Better Handwritten came into being because I did some work with Ian it made a massive difference to him and he said Nick you, you've got to you've got to do something with this this is um, this is going to make a difference to so many people but the the real background to my ability to teach handwriting uh, came much, much earlier when, when my, my son was diagnosed with dyspraxia. And, you know, perhaps we'll go on and talk about that a little bit, little bit more when we talk about teacher training. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I should set the scene for both of you for myself as well. Obviously, you know, I'm a primary specialist, for want of a better word. I don't really um, like that term. But so my background was primary. So I was involved in this. But now I teach secondary and I teach secondary in a alternative provision. I, I work with children whose handwriting isn't secure and I work around secondary teachers and some of the attitudes that I hear. Being from a primary background, it's it really surprised me. So it's going to be great to talk about this kind of spectrum across, even up to adulthood, about um, about handwriting. Um, now, uh, the the bit I for me we're we're discussing handwriting, and it's probably a good idea to get this off the bat. Is I think back to my training as a teacher. I was a PGCE, so it's a quick course. Um, I don't remember much guidance specifically about handwriting and and as I say with, with regards to secondary when I talk to people and I've asked some, some put some questions out there online um, whilst trying to research um, of handwriting and it seemed to be that there's a uh, I want to say an attitude that it's not important or as as long as it's legible for the exam marker um, what are your experiences and we'll start with Sue again um, of attitudes and training that's in place for people with regards to handwriting yeah, um, there's really no formal training out there on handwriting, um, and certainly not in teacher training. Uh, I've been campaigning for handwriting to be part of the initial teacher training for, for quite some time now. Um, and I believe that Worcester University are the first to create a handwriting module for trainee teachers. Um, I would really love all universities to have this handwriting module. Um, I, I think it's something that's missing in teacher training. Um, and those that do uh, do some handwriting, that it's only for a very short time. Uh, it's interesting when I uh, when I ask teachers where they've learned how to teach handwriting, they usually say that they've watched another teacher teach it, or they're teaching from their own school experience, and and that's really shocking because they're teaching the next generation of writers. 
And, and for me, a teacher can only teach handwriting to the standard of which they have been taught. And if that standard is not correct, then they'll just continue to teach handwriting incorrectly to every child they teach. Um, and it's just simply wrong. This is not how we should be teaching handwriting. With regards to um, secondary schools, um, the important thing there is, is legibility. Students are really not required to have joined up handwriting or, or cursive, as people call it. Um, and they will not be penalised for printing, which is just unjoined letters. Um, I work with a lot of secondary schools, um, training the teachers how to teach handwriting and, and unpicking their handwriting problems. And really, it's writing speed and legibility is their main concern. Um, yeah, it, 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 most secondary school teachers reach out to me to, to actually unpick the leading in stroke. That's their biggest area at the focus this, at this moment in time. Um, they've yeah, got a I'm lot really of... We're going, to talk, we're going to talk about leading strokes certainly a little bit later on. Um, you yeah. know, I will. I, you know, I'm going to put it out there early on that I, you know, I was a deputy head of a school and we did introduce them at the time, and we'll talk about it further down about how that happens. But it's really interesting to you, for for me to hear you talk about. I would say my experience is that it's not necessarily an area that's maybe as evidenced informed as we are with phonics or we are with yeah. other things. You know, my experience would be similar to what you've described there of it being kind of handed on in a kind of, you know, um, kind of uh, word of mouth kind of way that this is how we do it and, and misconceptions, I think, maybe build up there or people think it's the right way to do it. Um, now, Nikki, um, do you, can you, um, what's your sort of experience of teachers and the amount of training they've had and the, the attitudes towards handwriting? Yeah, well, absolutely. As Sue said, there is very little, if any, um, training for teachers. And that's that's really quite shocking, uh, given that, you know, it's acknowledged in government document documents that learning to write the process is very complex. Um, my personal experience, when I mean, you talk about being um, PGCE trained, Nathan, and having very little input, but I was on a four year teaching degree and mm -hmm. uh, I had no training on teaching handwriting at all during that time. Um, I always had a love of handwriting. And so, you know, one of my early memories is uh, getting into school very early, missing the motorway traffic. And I would spend the first half hour, you know, preparing my whiteboard, literally ruling lines on the board and, and writing handwriting practice. At that stage, that was, that was, that was the um, habit, the, the routine that we were in. So, it, you know, because it was a, a, a natural passion of mine, I always wanted to do handwriting. But um, my real training um, of handwriting came through my, um, my, the, you know, my desire to support my son. So my son's 25 now, but he was diagnosed with dyspraxia when he was four. And the writing journey was, was sort of later down the line. Before, before that, he had to learn how to speak. And of course, um, and then I was helping him with reading and writing. And uh, for listeners who aren't really aware of dyspraxia because many people still aren't. Um, the way that I described it at the time was it, it's, it's, it's as if the messages from the brain don't quite get to their intended destination. So um, he couldn't form the sounds for speaking because his tongue wasn't moving and the muscles in his face 
weren't moving. And these were early indicators of, of, of a host of motor difficulties. And I knew that uh, writing was going to be a real challenge. But uh, the extent of his difficulties gave me access to the most amazing range of professionals. And it was really through the occupational therapist at the time that I, I learned how to teach handwriting. Um, and there is so much that would benefit teachers, uh, you know, in terms of um, background knowledge that would really help them support practical activities they do. And, you know, the, the thing about the, the process is it's, it's actually a relatively simple um, practice process. In fact, it's really important, I think you might agree, Sue, to, to not do too much in one go um, because that tends to lead to deteriorating formations in terms of the practice process. Um, but uh, yes, it's 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 that that's why I really learned, and I and I I'm absolutely wholeheartedly agree with Sue that we need to get more teacher training in because I know that teachers feel very vulnerable and very worried about often making things worse for students, and in fact I've supported a number of teachers with their own handwriting because they actually feel very self conscious. Um, there's a, a new teacher that I worked with a couple of years ago who just didn't feel able to teach his year two class and was uh, embarrassed by his pen hold, uh, by his letter formations, by not being able to model correctly. And his experience had been at primary to be told that, um, you know, his teacher had said, look, your handwriting's terrible, your pen hold's not correct, but we're not going to do anything about it because we tried that with someone else and we didn't, we, you know, made things worse. And I think for teachers, there's this, this, you know, they want to support their students, they want to help, but without the knowledge that gives them the confidence to not do damage, um, they, it's something that gets um, put to the side often. And, um, yeah, really interesting I can relate entirely to the, the teachers that you're working with there when I first started teaching I have just tweeted out a, a picture of me holding a pen I believe it's called like a thumb hook or something that I use I don't like I you know I still have to think to use the, the, the kind of tripod grip and we will talk about pen grips but I started teaching I was writing in all capitals all of the time that was my my handwriting font was all capitals and holding my pen with a kind of thumb hook over the top and it was something that I really had to think about but I had to do it on my own because as you say the 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 uh, training maybe as part of my teacher training wasn't there now I want to move us on just to talk about well we're talking handwriting and this will be a common uh, uh, thing that gets said is you know we're a digital world now why um, and we'll start with Sue here why is handwriting even a thought about why should we be de dedicating time to it when it's all digital mice and keyboards now yeah I just want to go back to a point um that Nikki made there I mean I, I, I'm very similar to Nikki in the fact that I love handwriting and I was taught calligraphy that's how I learned how to to teach handwriting through calligraphy um but regular practice is really important but in short spurts because we don't want the children to get overly tired the moment that they make a mistake 
is embedding bad habits. So we want to ensure that they're, they're actually learning it correctly. Um, so it's really important, regular practice and, and short practice um, times. Um, but yeah, digital age. Um, evidence really consistently confirms that pupils who write their notes by hand perform significantly better. Um, they retain so much more information than those who have typed. And, and they, there is just so many papers out there, so many evidence papers out there. Um, this is because handwriting is a neurosensory exercise, and that's really important to remember. Um, it is much slower than typing, and, and that's because the writer is absorbing and developing the information accurately. Um, so the two, the, you know, the two sit side by side and both have their place. Um, but typing encourages the verbatim notes and less active in processing, um, le less actively processing, sorry. So it's an ineffective memory recall that, that, that the child has or, or the writer has. Um, I'm at the age where I leave myself a lot of handwritten reminders on post-it notes around the house. And uh, I can always remember the notes, the colour of the paper, the ink I've written with. And I find that lost note really, really quickly. But if I'm searching on my computer for a piece I've, I've saved or I've written, I'm just searching and searching through all the files and they're all the same. Um, but one of the other things as well is, is actually using, picking up a pen and using a pen develops the pincer grip and that's really critical for human development um, the pincer grip is the thumb and the index finger um, and having that dexterity of the pincer grip really helps us to pick up objects um, and if you think about for a moment how we actually hold technology we no longer use our pincer grip so when you're holding your thumb you've got it resting in your, your palm of your hand. Um, compare that to how you hold a cup with a handle. So when you pick up a cup with a handle, you've got your thumb and your index finger holding it. You're literally doing weight training every time you take a sip out of that cup. And it's very, very different when we use technology. So handwriting is just so much more than picking up a pen. We're using machines to do everything these days and really really shouldn't be losing the ability to use that pincer grip. And one of the biggest things that I see when I go into schools is I stand in the playground talking to the teachers during the playtime and I see the children snatching objects. They're holding them with their full grasp hand and they're just no longer picking up with their pincer grip. So it's quite concerning, really. Well, that's hopefully something that we can get onto a little bit later. I know that um, already Nikki's talked a little bit about some of the, the, you know, the work she's done with dyspraxia and things, but and the um, occupational um, therapists. Sorry, I want to get that. I can't, is that, I can't remember if that's the right term. Um, but it, it, we, hopefully we'll talk a little bit later about the things you can do that, in my experience at least, some of those things that were advised were not always handwriting some of it was building up those skills in other ways or not always classic line taking I guess is what a lot of people would think about not not classic kind of copying outlines there might be other ways around it when we get later into the show now I'm going to throw over to um, Nikki here better handwritten is is you know that's a bold statement so why have you um, called, called your your organize your company better handwritten Yes, it is. It's very deliberate because, you know, I do truly believe that some things are better handwritten. And at this point, just to say I'm a, a massive lover of technology, 
you know, I, I send emails, I message a lot, I'm on Twitter, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-technology in any way, but uh, I agree with Sue that, um, that there are so many hidden benefits and key things that we, we mustn't, we, we need to be aware of in terms of the, the, the risk of losing um, skills and brain activity through not handwriting. So as Sue said, there are there are papers out there. There's a very famous one in 2014, uh, Oppenheimer and Muller, uh, which is you may have heard of, uh, the pen is mightier than the keyboard. That was one of the, the key mm. bits of research, which, which as, as Sue said, uh, showed that there were, were benefits in terms of longhand note-taking that showed evidence that students were able to conceptualize better when they did took handwritten notes whereas when they even even when instructed to not transcribe um, that is what happened when they were typing and they weren't really processing what they were hearing or engaging with it on a deeper level so so there is that side um, and also the, the whole process of learning to write um, at the stage that, that we that we do when, when we're young um, is a struggle and it's it's not easy for younger children but it's a struggle that our brains need there's there's so much brain activity that happens when we struggle with something and and it's how new pathways are formed and, and, and develop so we're in a society where you know everything's made easier for us you know turning on the telly with our remotes everything all the kinds of things that we've just become so used to and you know as adults when We've, we've developed a lot of our um, neural abilities. You know, that's that, that that's a luxury and that's fine. But you know, we've got to think about the impact of of these changes for the younger generation. And I, I wanted to get out there just before we start as well, because we're kind of spending this first kind of section of the show doing all our housekeeping before we can get really into the nitty gritty just after the the ads that will be coming up in about ten minutes time. Um, but when we talk about um, handwriting and when we talk about there is a thing and this is something that I found, uh, I find really interesting that the, is described as the halo effect where people, exam markers, are making assumptions about academic ability because of handwriting. And so this could be some of our teachers. It could certainly be our teachers at Key Stage 2 who are doing teacher-assessed writing where they are judging the quality of children's writing um, themselves as opposed to a, a sent off piece of work or a piece of work go, scanned in and going to an exam marker. Um, so I wanted to know, uh, get your opinions on that slightly. And also, uh, I know Sue, you've talked a little bit about calligraphy there. Is uh, Can we push too far? Can handwriting be too perfect? What is it that we're looking for? So. Yeah, um, so... Uh, I can, yeah, I can really relate to that because my handwriting is not perfect. Um, you know, it, it, it's for a purpose. Handwriting is for a purpose. And certainly during exams, we need to be able to print and join up or just print. We, there shouldn't be any restrictions there at all. I had a, a trainee pharmacist contact me. He'd been asked to handwrite a, a paper with another student uh, for an exam. So they had to work together and then had to submit their own individual papers. The content was identical um, as they worked together on it. When the results came back, he had scored lower than the other student despite both papers 
been that identical content. Um, on investigation, he found out that he'd been marked down because of his, um, his handwriting. The examiner had really struggled to read it. And, and, and really, we, we aren't looking for perfection. We're looking for legibility. The purpose of handwriting is to communicate with others. Um, so really in, enforcing that, that idea. Uh, I mean, there's some really um, bad moderation going on, out out there. So when we're looking at the Key Stage 2 SATs or we're looking at the, the Key Stage 1 Year 2 SATs, um, if you've never been taught handwriting, and then you're expected to moderate on handwriting. It, it's very difficult. What are you looking for? Um, what is good handwriting and what is bad handwriting? Um, so, yeah, there are, there are very different types and styles of handwriting. And I think we've got a little bit too focused on this. Um, yeah, and that's something that I definitely want to have a chat with our, um, um, just after the ads, because I have questions, you know, when policies get written, people can certainly get picky about things like the, the shape of a K and which ones are joining. So we'll certainly talk about that, that pickiness and, and whether it's important or not um, when we come back. Now, I wanted to throw over to Nikki there. You know, can handwriting be too perfect? Yes, uh, I absolutely think it can be. But uh, before, I just I just like to say about exams as well. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think even with the best intentions, uh, you know, examiners and and markers do their very best to decipher handwriting. You know, I, I absolutely believe that they will do that. And if they have trouble reading. Um, some responses, then they will will, will pass that on and, and try and get somebody else to check. But there's no doubt that it does take extra effort for teachers and examiners when they've got to, to decipher things. And I think that that probably does have an impact uh, in some forms. It does take extra time. Everybody's under time pressures. Um, so, And there is probably an unconscious judgment about about handwriting in terms of, 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 of it's, it's still unconsciously or seen as a, a lack of effort and it certainly isn't isn't that at all um i very much uh, think about the, the you know the students it's not just even about the, the teachers and examiners what they see it's how the students feel and i you know through surveying and through talking to, to students particularly at secondary age there's massive anxiety for them uh, about whether somebody will judge them unfairly or um and and we, we do know now that anxiety takes up part of working memory so if students are going into exams uh feeling anxious then they're not going to have the the full capacity they need to retrieve the, the knowledge to show to show what they're communicating so i think it's a really a really important issue and that's why i think you should be getting handwriting clear and automated at primary and we'll, we'll talk about more about that after the break um, but also you know un understand that anxiety and I think there's still work to do at secondary in terms of of, th of that too so in terms of perfectionism I sort of have a very personal story here which 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 relates to my to my daughter and you know she's given me permission to to share this it's actually I relate it in one of my blogs uh, but she was young when I wrote the blog so um, she has beautiful handwriting and what happened for her through primary and secondary was that she she was continually praised for it, for her beautiful presentation. And it, it developed into almost like a, 
quite an obsession where she felt that she had to keep that up all the time. It had to be best standard all the time. Um, and at primary, she managed that quite well. Uh, when she went to secondary and time pressures uh, became increased and the volume of writing had was, was so much more demanding, she couldn't let go of that need for it all to be her best. And without without me knowing what she used to what she did for for a period was she would set her alarm for the middle of the night and then get up and rewrite her work from the day because she had to have it she she couldn't she couldn't hand it in without that. and I, and i really you know, it was a, it was a, it was an awful thing because what happened was she she burnt out at the end of year 8 and then and then had quite a significant amount of time off school um because she just couldn't go back to that level and I think that we often miss perfectionism. You know, we we we, we reinforce it, through, you know, unwittingly with the best intentions. And um, there's a great book that I don't know if you've you've read or heard of, the, the Chimp Paradox, yeah, by Professor Steve Peters. And there's a there's a really good example he gives in that about how it's so important that we we value our students and our children for who they are first. And, and even though I'm looking very closely at handwriting with, with, with students, um, whenever they do even just a simple sentence for me to sort of apply what they've been practicing, I always comment on the, the content of what they write first. That's always the most important thing, engaging with them, talking, you know, responding to what they've said, and then we look at the handwriting. So, yes, I think it's a really important thing that we don't talk about enough and that, that we need to be aware of. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, when we come back, we are going to quickly go to the ads. When we come back, I'd love to pick both your brains just about what it is we're looking for. We talked about there about, you know, um, being focused on a neatness, which I think is an easy way out, maybe a parent's way that they might be looking at it, someone who isn't a teaching professional and say, oh, well, it's it's got to be neat because it's got to be neat. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about what we are looking for. And then hopefully we'll go through kind of chronologically from the early years up through to, to secondary, talking about the developmental bits. Um, so I will see you both on the other side of this quick ad break. Thank you. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. Live from Swansea, this 
is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. And I forgot to give you my weather update at the start of uh, the show. It's not really been raining as much as it normally is raining, although it's cold and wet as usual. So there's my little weather update. South Wales, it rains unfortunately um so also it's worth me reminding you that if you are listening through the podbean app you can text in you can call in you can also message me on uh twitter um so that you can join in tune in and talk it out we are live for that very reason now i'm welcoming back um sue smiths from morals handwriting and nikki parr from better handwritten to talk about handwriting welcome back sue still with us Yes, I'm still with you. And uh, let's check in on Nikki. Nikki's still here. Hi, Nathan. Fantastic. I always like to check in just in case I've, uh, you know, I've lost someone in the meantime. Um, now, just before we um, had our little break for the ads there, we were talking a little bit about whether, you know, how neat is neat enough. Um, I fall into this trap of saying neatness a lot, but... If we start with Sue, what is it that we're looking for from handwriting? Are we looking for neatness, speed? How, how would you describe it? Um, no, not really. Not not looking for, for neatness. We're, we're, we're trying to ensure a good technique. We want an automatic movement, um, you know, that, that frees up the writer's mind to focus on the content, like Nikki said earlier, um, really focusing on the content. Uh, handwriting is secondary, really. Um, so we're not looking for perfection. And Nikki, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about the story about your daughter. That, that's, you know, it's dreadful that, that we've got children that are having these these issue, issues and problems with handwriting. Um, but unfortunately, it, it's not and it's not uncommon, no. and, and and that's really sad. Um, so I don't know about you, Nikki, but I I hear many many stories from parents and children about their mental well being being affected because of handwriting. Yes. Um, so you know this show is really good, Nathan, for 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 getting out, you know, dispelling some of the myths and really um, and saying some truths about handwriting. So you know, focus must not be on perfectionism. Um, it is a mode of communicating. Um, and for me, um, you know, it really starts with if you think about how a child um, learns handwriting is, is, is say basically like your first driving lesson. You know, your first driving lesson isn't on a motorway. Um, you're not going to be reversing round a corner either. You, you, know, you, you learn to drive in a straight line. In fact, you learn to, to start the car and, and put it into gear first. Um, and, and that's really important. Those first steps are absolutely critical to determine whether you're going to be a good driver of the pencil across the paper or a bad driver. And we really need to focus on the basics first. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, that, that, you know, it's very, very important. And uh, Nikki, what is it that you're looking for? How would you describe it in, in handwriting? If not neatness, then what? What are we talking about? 
Yeah, I mean, the strap line for Better Handwritten is feel better, letter by letter. And for me, it's all about how the individual feels about their handwriting. And I was very interested to read your thread, actually, Nathan, when you put the um, question out, does handwriting matter at secondary? Because I completely understand a lot of the responses uh, were either yes, it does, or, or no, it doesn't. But But when I was reading them, very much for me, it isn't really about what we think as as teachers. It's it's about how the students feel, and none of us can say how someone is feeling about their handwriting. So what we need to do is be be in a position where students who don't feel good about their handwriting, who feel very stressed by it, who may not be showing that, but maybe might be feeling it. Um, you know that we can help them. Uh, I've, I've working with um, Samantha Ted, who's on Twitter at the moment, with, with her secondary school. And it, it's been really interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a different process at secondary school. There's, there's so many uh, things to, to, to get through, so many barriers, so many layers of, of emotion. And, um, and it, the, the thing that's really struck me was I did, did some surveying of the students, and, and they want help. They want help, but they actually don't believe that anyone can help them. And that, that's something that we need to change. So for me, handwriting, it's about developing an automated, clear style that's easy to read and that they feel good about. And that's, that's the primary importance. Um, now, I did say I wanted to, to, to talk chronologically, but I'm going to switch one of my questions around with both of you just because it's taking it on it. And I'm revealing behind the curtain to all our listeners that I do prepare some questions in advance. It's not a free flowing discussion. It is fairly free flowing. But I just wanted to ask them. We talked about this kind of expression of self and feeling confident. And I've had a text in from a, a, a teacher who's also a parent who was um they said that they were asked to stop helping their um, their, their child because um, they were the the parent was um, doing well. They say also the pen grip, but we'll, we'll get onto that maybe a little bit later. But they were saying about the letter shape. Now, what I remember um, very much when I was a primary deputy head, and we were looking at changing our handwriting uh, scheme for want of a better word, that there was a very big debate about which letters we chose and then an enforcement, I will say, it wasn't as bad as that for our listeners, but there was some form of, you know, this is the correct way to do a letter K. And I picked that as the example because it's one that always sticks out. I think there are probably some other ones like that, like a Z maybe and other things. But when we are discussing those things at primary, is there much difference that does it matter if my k's are wrong should i be correcting children uh, if we start with sue yeah um it's interesting um I, I hear a lot of parents actually saying the same sort of story nathan um that they've you know either they're they're helping too much with their handwriting or they're not helping enough with the handwriting um lots of people have very strong views on the different types of letter shapes and the k is the particular one um I really don't believe we should be saying that one size fits all, nor forcing children to write in a particular style. Um, we're all individuals, not one size fits us all. So, you know, it, it all depends on what works for the child. And as Nikki was saying about her child, you know, they've got difficulties, then we should be finding the easiest one for them to do. Um, 
you know, I just believe that we should be teaching, you know, writing from the correct starting point as the main importance, rather on the shape of that letter and how it looks. Um, my handwriting books use the Sassoon font. It's an easy reading font. The lowercase capital, uh, the lowercase K is like a, the capital R, um, and it makes joining the K to another letter much easier. But um, yeah, I think we just have to focus on the individual and what's right and best for them. So you wouldn't necessarily be kind of unpicking or sort of saying, no, I, you know, if a child had already established a, a different one, unless it was maybe causing an issue because they were doing it in, an, in a way, you wouldn't say, hang on, let's go to this other font. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if it's legible, if you can read that letter and you can see it's a K, then there's no problem. If it looks like a capital P, then you need to change it. Um, so it's it's about how we interpret that letter and, and how easily we can read it. I do, you know, I love this idea of a, a kind of um, handwriting being an expressive thing, as um, Sue was talking about, that it's your, it's your voice. And I quite like then that your voice would have... Um, its own inflections might, you know, I, I have picked up historically from where I grew up my own things. And I, I, I will say I, I messaged a, a, a teacher online and graphic designer, Oliver Caviglioli, because his ampersand that the and symbol I loved and I had to message him and ask him, you know, and I have affected that into my handwriting. It is an affectation because I'm, you know, an adult and I can handwrite to some extent. But Sue, what are your feelings on um, if there is a correct letter, shall I say, or, you know, should schools be enforcing these are our letter shapes? Well, if we're talking about the leading in stroke, then no, definitely not. Um, but if, if a school has got, say, for example, a, a set K that they're using, and, you, and you've used that example, which is a really good one. There are two different ways of, of writing a K. One can look like the uppercase, the capital K, and then the other one looks, as I say, like a capital R, where it goes down, bounces over, and goes in like the R, capital R. Um, I, I don't think that we should be forcing children. I don't think that we should have these, um, these ideas set in stone where there's no... Um, ability to chop and change what's suitable for that child. We have many different children in our classrooms and, and certainly from working in the various schools around the country. We have children coming in from different countries that have different styles. We cannot say to a child at, at the age of 10, stop what you've been doing for all of your life and start now doing what we do in school. Um, it, you know, if it, you can read that letter K and you can see it's a letter K, then it is a letter K. Fabulous. I, you know, I, I love that as a description. You know, it, it, uh, I, however, and I will say, and I imagine there are schools out this, as a middle leader at one point, I, I was enforcing um, what we thought was rigour. And that leads us on to, as you, as you brought it up, leading strokes. And I will, I'm going to try my best because I, I, I have a, an, a vague guess about where both of you are going to fall on this. <laughs> um, but um, I will explain what we thought we were doing as, you know, and this is one of the problems around training and support for teachers and educators around handwriting is we thought leading strokes where you 
you know, for anyone listening, you kind of start on the line, then you start the letter, and then you go back to the bottom line. And it, it looks like it should be joined, but it's not actually joined to anything. So you're kind of almost practicing that that pre-join. Um, we did that, and we introduced it, and we introduced it because we thought that it made things simpler because they were learning the 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 one letter shape throughout the school you know so why not get them practicing it earlier if they're going to practice it um and and that was our thinking behind it and i i think there were other schools doing it i seem to remember it being a a thing that happened but you know more recent uh phonics uh accredited scheme guidance has come out that is very clear about that um that it is maybe not the way to do it they certainly make that um clear in in their guidance for approved phonics schemes. Um, Sue, how do you feel, or can you explain to me the issues around the, the lead-in stroke? And don't be too harsh on me, because we honestly, we were misguided, I think, or we just didn't know enough. Okay, I'll try and not have a rant. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, everybody that knows me and works with me knows with a passion, I detest the leading in stroke. Um, uh, some of you might know as the precursive, um, some of you may know as the continuous cursive. They just do ha not have a place in our classrooms. And I know um, that there's been a lot of myths, there's been a lot of mis-selling. In fact, it's the worst mis-selling um, ever to go since, oh, who knows? Um, but I'm campaigning against the leading stroke. Um, it, it shouldn't be taught in any classroom. We're so much further on from the early days of the leading in stroke. It was never intended as a handwriting font. Um, it was just a method of getting the ink flowing from the fountain pen in, in 100 years ago. Um, and it's a trend. There's no evidence-based research to say it works as a handwriting font. And there's a lot of evidence to say that it doesn't work, especially for special needs children, for those children with dyspraxia or dyslexia. It really does not work. And, and I've seen that I, uh, out in schools. I, I teach, well, before the pandemic, I, I taught over a thousand children a week in both secondary schools and primary schools, early years, universities. And I spend 95% of my teaching time unpicking problems with the leading in stroke. You know, the teaching, the leading stroke is not a government directive. It, it, it's not the in the national curriculum. It doesn't help children um, to write faster. And it just simply should not be taught. And it certainly should not be enforced. You know, I've got parents reaching out to me all the time, Nathan, regarding their child's mental well-being because they're being forced to write with the leading in stroke. And there's no room for manoeuvre. They cannot do any other form. They must teach, uh, be taught the leading in stroke and they must write in, in the leading in stroke. And I've even got teachers reaching out to me that say that after school, they go through their work and they put those whooshes on each and every letter at the end of the day, or they go through the children's work, putting them on for them. And I just see so many bad examples of handwriting. Um, and I understand why it came in. I understand the trend, the trend fear, and why this became a thing. But we really must now stop teaching it. There is so much evidence out there to say that it should not be taught. 
Now, I'm going to describe it for our listeners. Um, you know, I, I will try and get tweet out a picture of the, the two things that really I realised that we had made a, a massive mistake. Apart from my early years teacher at the time really having a go at me, um, the, it was when I saw writing where, and I'm going to call it a, a kind of a double dip, a double peak in between letters. So what would happen is if you listeners can imagine for me, I'm doing my D letter and then I come up just at the end and then I'm going to start an A, but then I go down again slightly and I get this weird dipping between it. Or also um, I'd see that the printing of letters that had lead in strokes and tails but weren't joined because they were printed and and it kind of when they were put close together it made them almost illegible even though the child was doing exactly the fine motor skills we were asking for it it somehow made it illegible now i'm going to throw over to sue you've already kind of mentioned it leading strokes what are your your feelings why how and why do you feel that way about them well, it it's really is because of the cognitive overload. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that when a child is thinking about putting that that baseline link into the letter from that baseline, that they really do struggle to think about it. But it, it's not just about that leading in stroke going in from the baseline. I just want to talk a little bit about how we develop as human beings. Um, so we need to actually to to join up our handwriting we need bilateral integration and that's the ability to coordinate both sides of the body together but we also need good midline crossing and this is where one hand can easily move across the body over to the other side but we also need to have good postural control and binocular vision that's where both eyes need to work together to see what we're writing and we have to ensure that the gross and the fine motor skills are fully developed now none of these come into place before a child is seven or eight years of age and and if they haven't got those then their overload their cognitive overload is immense and that's why we shouldn't be teaching it and it's the precursive that I'm more angry at because that's neither printing nor joined up and the precursive is where you have a single letter with a stroke coming in from the baseline into the letter and then you have a, a stroke coming out so if you can imagine a letter a sitting on its own and it has a, a whoosh, as the children call it, a whoosh in and a whoosh out. So I call it the, the little girl's face with the pigtails because it literally looks like a face with pigtails. And then they will write a word using that. So the precursive is where the A and the N and the D have these lead out in and lead out strokes. But it's one word. So there becomes gaps between the letters within that word. And like you said, Nathan, you get a, a very strange thing going on in between the, the letters as well with those lead out strokes and the lead in um, strokes. Now, um, I, I want to hear from Nikki. If if I had, you know, planned this like some kind of uh, panel show, I would have booked in <laughs> someone who was going to come on now and passionately defend the leading stroke. I feel it's not going to go that way. But Nikki, um, what are your thoughts on the leading strokes and, yeah. and precursive? Yeah, I, I equally am not, not a fan. However, I do understand the premise uh, behind, you know, why they came in. And I believe that um, it was the British Dyslexia Association that actually encouraged 
precursive, uh, certainly at one point. Yeah, but Nikki, that was brought in without any evidence or yeah, any research no, no, papers. I, 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 understand, uh, I understand and, and, that, Sue, but I think that that's why people took it on board so easily. And the premise behind it was that it's got to be easier to start uh, from one point on the line than it is to start letters in different places. But I absolutely agree. And the evidence is, is immeasurable, the, the issues that, that are caused. And I think there'll be people out there. And I don't want teachers to feel bad about this because, um, as, as you said, Nathan, things are done with the best intentions. And there are schools out there that are still using precursive. And for many of their children, they're, they're getting results. And so there may be people out there thinking, well, you know, it's working for us. However, um, it's so damaging for children who are struggling anyway. As you say, developmentally, they're not ready. And it's this visual perception that is not developed at an early stage. Um, and so an another example is your L's and your T's that end up looking like mountains because they, they can't judge the, you know, the, the positioning. And that's how they perceive it. And that's how they, they've got to hold that image in their working memory while they write it and then the whole process of learning to write you know it's a skill and just like learning to walk or anything like that you know we repeat things and they become automated and so that's what happens when children are trying to um you know to manage these lead-ins at a very young age when they're not ready and not developmentally ready not visually perceptually ready these um these things get entrenched and then uh, you know there's a year six that I was working with or look, looking at recently and, and his H's are formed from it's a little hump curve at the bottom and then a straight vertical line in the center of that hump at the top and that's that will relate back to him uh, that developmental stage and that's without a lead-in but that's never been addressed and so in year six his writing is partly legible because of those individual letter formations so yeah no i i i do not uh, uh, support the precursive but i but what i want to say is like it's about educating and changing things and while we're talking about um schemes as well you know again what happens for many teachers they don't have training because there isn't training out there apart from people like sue and myself um so quite often they're just handed a scheme to to use that has and, and whatever that scheme has that's what that's what they adopt so people are doing the best they can without being aware of the issues that are, that are caught being caused um, and in terms of the different letter formations again with better handwritten resources all of the 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 the, the sheets that i work with are downloadable and they are handwritten quite deliberately because part of the process is focusing that visual attention. And therefore, although at first glance, all the examples may look the same, when you start to zoom in closely and really draw attention, it's very evident that there are slight differences. And this is what helps to focus, focus attention. But the formations that I teach are the ones that are simplest to read and that are easiest for joining. And I think this is really important that we we don't confuse things with with the with the precursive strokes. 
Now I am skitting around because we're talking about kind of uh, precursive intercurses and, and letter shapes. Um, what about um, when, if we are aiming for, and I, I, you know, I want to be careful around the wording of this because in the English national curriculum, it does often say letters that are best left unjoined at certain points in, in, in that national curriculum. But what about, are we aiming for eventually fully, fully cursive, com you know, completely cursive, all letters joined, or, or is that a, you know, a, a misdirect? Is that, you know, something that we, you know, we shouldn't be aiming for? So if we go to Sue first, should I be aiming for my children to get to fully joined every letter all of the time? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I don't do that. Uh, and most adults wouldn't do a fully cursive script. It's so tiring on the hand. And imagine writing a fully cursive script. And, and a fully cursive script is joined up handwriting. So cursive means to flow. So handwriting that flows. Um, yeah, you have to have a pen lift. It's really important for word spacing and resting the hand in between. Um, but I, I just want to come back to, to the last point as well, because I think the two go together. With many schools, it's, it's the policymakers that refuse to change. Um, and this comes back to lack of knowledge. So the lack of knowledge about the terminology. So a lot of people will say to me, oh, do you do cursive? And I'll say, no, I do joined up handwriting. No, 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 I want cursive. Well, cursive, they, they've seen to, to, to imagine that is the leading in stroke, but, but cursive actually is joined up handwriting. And, and it, it definitely is clear in the national curriculum that, that cursive or joined up handwriting should have a pen lift. Children should know when letters shouldn't be joined. Um, and that is to lift your pen and to have a rest of your hand in between the words in a sentence. That will help with placing the words on the paper. And also it prevents the cognitive overload. And when you're talking about placing it on the paper, are you talking about that kind of drift that we might sometimes see as teachers where, you know, a joined up writing might fall off the line and kind of disappear or might start floating above the line? That, that That's potentially what can happen. Oh, that, that's something very, very different. Um, when you have that, yeah, no, don't worry. Um, so when you have um, handwriting that's coming down below the line or, or drifting up below the line, that's because of the muscle movement. That's that's the pincer grip is not working. The dexterity in the pincer grip, the thumb and the forefinger, that, that's not working correctly. And that's basic exercise. And that's really important when children have been growing and they've had a growth spurt, um, which there are three major growth spurts in a child's life. What happens is those muscles um, become very tight in their arm and, and those um, that pincer grip really fails to work properly. Um, just needs exercising building back up again um so yeah it's it's really really important that we make sure that the technique is right there um so that's where we we go down but the fully cursive um is is when the actual words become one so there's a very little finger space um in between each word okay i see where we're coming from now i'm going to throw over to nikki nikki how much how much joined is joined joined enough is, is that even a sentence? You know, how, how, how cursive are we getting? Uh, well, what I do is, you know, I, I believe that during the primary phase, that's our opportunity to teach children how to join. 
And so I work very much on pairs of letters building in, into whole words. And, and the premise is that they, you know, they, we want to give them that skill, how to join. But when they, when, when they get to secondary, as, as Sue said, you know, we ourselves as adults don't write in fully cursive. So part cursive has been shown to be the most efficient um, ter- type of handwriting. And so you're not always taking your pen off for every single letter and placing it, but you equally, you, you do when you need a break, when you need that sort of natural unconscious break when you're writing. Um, so yes, we, it's getting those that, 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 that using the window at primary to teach and establish an automated style uh, that where where they know how to join, but not make you know we need to be more relaxed about it. Not making a big deal about every letter joining, um, as the guidance says. Not all letters are easy to join, so the the purpose of joining them is is to, to have that flow that makes it easier. And if something isn't easy, then then we don't need to to force that. I'm really glad actually that you mentioned lines because this is where my approach absolutely begins with the lines. We so often forget to teach children and to draw their awareness to the lines. And so you will often, a lot of the time, it's where I always start. A lot of the time you'll see children that are writing between the lines. And essentially that means that there isn't the space to show that distinction between tall and small letters that makes them easily readable. So for example, with letters like N and H, it does matter, you know, that the, 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 the back of the H is really important, it's tall um, and, the, and the N smaller. So if, if there isn't space because of where they're positioning their writing, then that makes it much harder to read. So I always begin with use of the lines. Um, similarly, and you may remember this, Nathan, like when, when in terms of using the margin, the line at the left of the page, again, often we forget to teach children to be aware of it. And what happens is you often get that drifting of their writing sort of drifts away from the margin. And then you often see where they suddenly realise that and go back towards it. Um, and really what's happening again, visually, they're not aware of that margin and they're using the writing on the line above as their, you know, unconsciously as their marker. And that's why it starts to drift away. So yeah, use of the lines is absolutely crucial in terms of it making it as easy for them as possible. Now, I want, the other part that I wanted to bring up that will often be said, and well, hopefully not often be said, but is a kind of cliche thing to be said, would be um, you're not holding your pen correctly. You're not holding your pencil correctly. Um, so my question, and, and first of all to, to Sue, is um, why does it matter, and, and what what are we looking for? You, you've already talk, talked a little bit about pincer grip earlier with with the thumb, and the forefinger, but when it comes to writing, people talk a lot about holding the pen correctly. I know I don't, but why? You know, why should I? How? Why does it help? You know, why? What are we aiming for from the children? Oh, gosh, pen grip. I <laughs> just have you noticed on TV how many people are holding their pens in a very, very strange grip? Um, it, it, it's really shocking. Um, and I'm amazed always when handwriting teachers have a very poor pen grip, too. And I'm just it's like saying, do as I say, but don't do as I do. So I just don't think there is an excuse out there for teachers to to not have a great pen grip. 
Um, right-handers can get away with a poor pen, pen grip, but it, it's much harder for left-handers. But I, I go back to, to, to driving the car, um, you know, and this is why we shouldn't be teaching children to join up too early. I, I just really believe that, you know, the primary years are for the foundation stages. Good postural control, good midline crossing, good binocular vision, good auditory and sound processing, and really focusing on good pencil control and grip. Um, these pre-writing skills for the, the young children, right the way up to year three. Um, I don't think that we should be joining before year three. I know the National Handwriting Association agree with me on this. Um, you know, I, I just think that we have to let children be children. Um, and so working on the pen grip is, is really, really important. And we have to wait for these development stages to come through first. Um, like I say, right-handers can get away with, with very poor hooks for the writing with. Um, but I work with Mark Stewart from Left and Right, and we have been campaigning um, for the specific teaching for left-handers on the ITT. Left-handers have the added difficulty in their technique and, and just a few minutes to help correcting their grip can make such a positive difference and change lives through their academic achievement. Um, I think pen grip must be much more of a focus and, and not just in the early years. It, it's great just teaching them to, to hold a pen so in, in, in reception and year one, but they'll go away and, and have a summer break and they'll come back and not be able to hold their pen again properly. And, and, and I hear so many teachers saying, well, I, I fixed it, I tried to, and, 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 and it, it worked and now it doesn't work. Well, well, that's because they've had a growth spurt. They've lost control of those muscles in the six-week holiday. And we really need to encourage them right throughout the primary years and into secondary school to really get a, a good pencil grip all the time. And, and you were talking talking about, I think it's a thumb wrap you were saying about there, Nathan. And, yeah. and it's really important. That thumb wrap can lead to dislocations of the bones. And, and I've seen it with secondary school children. And I just, I, I, I don't believe that, <clears throat> like, you, you're never too young to have good handwriting and to learn handwriting. <clears throat> you're also never too, too old to, to, to really, really get a good grip uh, and have a, a, a really good control of your pencil there. Um, I'm going to throw it over again to Nikki about the, this kind of uh, pen grip, pencil grip. Uh, maybe also uh, I, I do hear people talk about posture as well and seating position and where they hold the paper. How We're not just talking about a small scale action, fine motor or is there, is there gross motor? It, it, you know, it, it seems incredibly complicated, all of these different parts going. I think I think there's a lot a lot to think about and a lot for people to take on and and pen grip is something that's very personal and very emotional and if someone judges your pen hold as being odd or different or wrong it can be really really um, upsetting actually I mean I actually experienced this many years ago myself when I was at secondary school you know I was always quite proud I've always had a very you know I've enjoyed handwriting I've had good positive experiences but. When I was at secondary school all those years ago, uh, I imagine what must have happened was that uh, my teacher um, had been on a course and, and had been told that a tripod grip was the only, you know, was a correct grip and anything else was wrong. 
Um, and I, I was kept behind and told that I would have to go to extra classes to change my pen hold, which was a quadrupod grip. And that's where you have two fingers on the top. Um, so four digits are, are touching the pen. So tripod, three digits are touching the pen. Quadrupod, four digits are touching the pen. Um, and I was so upset and offended and uh, and incredibly stubborn because I had nice handwriting and it, it wasn't bothering anybody. Uh, so yeah, in my teenage stage, I actually went to the session but then refused to write. Um, and very soon they they gave up they got, gave up with me. But the thing about pen hold is uh, we want a pen hold that allows for what they call distal control, which is movement of the the fingers below the knuckles. So if you make um, um, a shadow bunny posture and just twitch your fingers and thumb, you'll get an idea of distal control. And what happens, that, that allows the movement in the hand, that allows the hand to do a lot of the moving when, when you're writing. Some holds um, that have evolved on basically through developmental stages. So young children have a fist grip, um, so literally clutching the pen in the fist grip. And that's what my son had when I started doing work with him all those years ago. And I worked with him on changing that. Um, and then there are, there are stages where the hand then, often when they're young and they're doing the fist grip, they're, they're quite often standing and doing drawings. Once they're sat down at tables, then you'll see different styles start to evolve with the, with the forefinger coming on top that gives a bit more control. And sometimes these very strange pen holds evolve. And it's purely like self-teaching that the child has found some way to keep the writing instrument still enough to write with. And for me, the only reason to change a pen hold is if it's causing somebody some long-term stress. So when you have a fist grip or, or some, some of these grips where the, where the fingers can't move easily, they're fixed holding the, the pen or pencil in place, then that relies on the whole arm to be moving when they're writing. And that gets incredibly tiring and, and can affect posture. So there are pen holds that I'd say definitely need changing if they're causing that long-term stress. And people don't always realise that that's happening. And I, again, I had another experience myself where I'd had trouble with my knees for years. I'd had a lot of pain for probably over 10 years in my knees. And it wasn't until I really got into some of the work that, that I'm doing now that, that I realised with my personal posture, because I'm quite short, standard chairs don't actually um, allow my feet to sit rest flat on the floor. I'm sort of slightly on tiptoes. And because our bodies try and naturally stabilise when we're writing, what I had done unconsciously was learn to wrap my uh, legs around the chair legs to steady myself. Wow. And, and that had been going on for years. And I had no awareness. And I think that's the other thing with, the, with posture and pen grip you know, we're all so busy and teachers are so busy and often we're focused on the the product of the handwriting. And um, I, I uh, my sister-in-law, you know, I went into her class, I asked her to go and have a look at how her, the children in her class were sitting. And she, she was amazed when she came out 
she said actually that you know I hadn't really been aware of how many different sitting postures there were so yeah we're in the, we're in the days now where we've got to try and claw back some space and time to become more aware and to notice what's going on but we've got to be very careful with changing handholds that we don't do more damage and there was one teacher where I'd gone into the school and she said I'd I'd um, noticed that the, the child, you know, child in my class, the pen hold was wrong. So I, I gave them a pen grip and I, you know, a, a, to put on their pencil and I and I told them we we're going to change it. And what the the parent of that child came in and got very very angry with with the teacher, saying, you know, my child is now coming home distressed, crying, and you know her writing was fine, and you you, you know you've done all this damage. And this made the teacher feel awful because she'd been trying to do the right thing. And ultimately, the story was nobody won there. The parent got angry. The relationship was damaged with the teacher. The child didn't get their penhole changed. And that teacher said, I'm never going to do that again. Hmm. And there are, there are ways to, to, to do this very, very easily. And well, part of that is just explaining the benefits of I am gonna I'm going to cut across you there because what I want to do is I want to go pop to our news. We've got a little tech segment. But then when we come back, just for the end of the show, I would love to hear from both of you what we can do that, that can make a difference when children are struggling. Is that okay with both of you? Absolutely. Uh, Nikki, Absolutely. Sue? Yeah, totally. Lovely. So. We'll see you all in about five minutes just after this quick ad break and news update. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. As schools across England struggle to remain open as a result of high staff absence, many head teachers have an army of volunteers on standby. Nadim Sahawi has stated that 8.5% of teachers are in isolation currently and the Department for Education is working on plans to cope with possible absenteeism of up to 25%. Vicky Bingham, head of South Hampstead High School, said she is building an army of helpers in case of need. She tweeted, Everyone is so kind. We've even got a hierarchy for the Ghostbusters, who are you going to call moment? For our cover supervisor. 
We had so many different types of kind offers, I decided to prioritise them for him. All volunteers will need to receive a DBS cheque to work unsupervised in schools. In Northern Ireland, a former consultant of a Belfast-based air purification system, Mark Ainsworth, has urged Stormont ministers to install air filtration systems in Northern Ireland schools. He believes the current situation of schools keeping windows open for compulsory ventilation can't go on. He told Belfast Live, My main concern is that children are sitting in freezing classrooms with their coats and hats on because they're so cold. The whole thought process early on in the pandemic was focused on keeping doors and windows open for ventilation. But you wouldn't expect someone sitting in an office to do this, and yet it's what we're asking of our children. Schools need to close the doors and windows, put the heating on and have an air purifier at the back of each classroom. The HEPA filtration in these units can contain all the COVID virus in the air and allow children to sit in a normal classroom. Our government is still talking about this while other countries are buying these units up. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of MyFitnessPal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola, the recommended portion size, is nothing like the portion I've been having. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster. Realising I was eating three or four times the portion I was supposed to has made me think about my other choices, so I ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk. I was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature, even supermarket brands. The app gave me a calorie target based on my weight, height and goal I'd chosen. As I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. Over the break, I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, but thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a programme that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Sean T, the amazing energetic coach screaming dig deeper and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym i've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping stretching squatting and definitely sweating being honest i was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one i'm not gonna lie i used muscles i don't think i've ever used by day three even sitting still and lying in bed at night 
hurt. After pushing through to day on day seven, a rest day, the pain has subsided and I feel great. I just have one word of warning. If you're looking to do something like this, the long walk from the car park with load books may be impossible in the first week. Read the disclaimer, this is not to be taken lightly. In conclusion, I can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off, but it has made me look at my diet. A DVD fitness program for me is great. Finding 45 minutes is not always easy, and if you want to try before you buy, if you're a member of Netflix or Prime already, there's programs on there which are already in your subscription. Next week, we're back to Tech for Teaching. I'm Steve Woods, and this was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. I am here with Nikki Parr from Better Handwritten and Sue Smiths from Morals Handwriting, talking handwriting. Uh, welcome back, Sue. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Nathan. Still here. And welcome back, Nikki. Oh, I've just realised that I muted you, Nikki, so oh. I'm going to unmute you. Can you hear me, Nikki? Yes, I can hear you, Nathan. Sorry, I, I, I forgot that I'd done that to you. My did apologies. That, did that to Rob last week, didn't you? I did, yeah. It's, it, I, I, I do forget. You know, we go to the news and I'm like, right, we, you know, so we don't get any rustling papers or anything. I do always click on to mute. Um, now, we are coming right up to that. We've got 10 minutes left and we have talked a lot, but I want to talk about some some things that people can take away if we can. Um, so if we could talk a little bit about what the barriers to handwriting are, um, obviously there are some specific educational needs that might be barriers, but there are probably some more general things that people can look out for that might be barriers as well. And then some of the things we can do about it. Um, so if we start with Sue, what are common barriers to someone having um handwriting that is the automatic having ha, being able to do handwriting <laughs> tongue-tied automated, hand yes, uh, automated it's handwriting. yeah it's it, a yeah. difficult word yes um i mean obviously there's a lot of conditions that can um affect handwriting so dysgraphia um you know we talked about dyspraxia dyslexia uh, all of those conditions but but for me i'm i'm really am um about the pen grip and, and correct teaching, you know, that they are barriers to good handwriting. If you don't have the correct teaching of handwriting from, from a good teacher that knows the knowledge, then it will be a barrier for a child. They will not be able to access um, good, good writing. And that comes from good resources, you know, like the Morales resources. It's got intervention in there and, and it, it helps. It's got the shaded lines. So they can see the zones of each letter, the uppercase, lowercase, the, the descenders, the ascenders. Um, really important to invest in, in good quality and, and knowledge, knowledge for the, the teaching staff. If the, the teaching staff don't know how to pick um, poor handwriting then it will be a barrier for a child um, and, and if they can't spot how to, how to do that um, it, it's really difficult for them. So I'm just going to hone in on one thing you said there um, and obviously you know wonderful schemes both of you providing support but what you're describing there about that kind of um, showing them I, w I was 
advised uh, to do that by highlighting, you know, highlighting the top half of the line. It did make okay. it really difficult. Uh, highlighting the bottom half of the line was a nightmare because then the kids couldn't write on it. Yes. Um, highlighting the top half was, was slightly better because you only got the two letters. But that, it's that splitting a line on a, yes. on, in a book in half so that kids can really see that differentiation between w- where their letters should start and finish. Absolutely. And um, with the old handwriting workbooks, they used to have these dotty lines and there was coloured and there was four of them and, and it was really difficult for children to see. So we've simplified that. That's really simple now. That's a shaded area where the lowercase sits um, and that's in the right place in the lines. Um, so we do that as exercise, handwriting exercise books, and they're available on my website, uh, Morales Handwriting. Um but yes, it's, it's really important to know where that zone is. So, so instead of having that shaded highlighter that you were putting on, um, we've actually done the work for you. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So that would have saved me a lot of time when I was a teacher, yeah. I, I can tell you. Um, so I'm going to throw over to Nikki. What are sort of common things that you see um, that are, are things that people could be looking out for and things they can do about it? Well, the first thing that I would like to say is that I think less is more. And one of the biggest mistakes I see with handwriting practice is too much being done. And as we discussed, what that's doing often is just reinforcing um, some um, errors that then have to be uh, modified. So that's the key thing. Less is more. And the better handwritten approach is parallel, I would say, to what Sue's describing. It's very simple use of lines. So I have two styles of lines, handwriting lines that are half the height of the lines and separately regular lines because one of the things that often I get asked about is transferring practice into regular writing and and this approach works really well because it's it's all about being very explicit. Whatever kind of lines we're we're using, we're helping, we need to be sure that that we're helping children to understand the purpose for them and how to transfer back to their everyday regular regular lines. So that's that. And, and the thing is, it's about little and often and develop whether you're a parent wanting to support your child or whether you're a teacher. It's about taking time to really get to know the writing and to see for yourself. So this Friday, there are some free Better Handwritten um, guides coming out, starter guides just helping with that beginning assessment process about uh, noticing exactly what's going on now because we can't change something if we don't really know what needs changing and we need to break that down into manageable chunks. And then it's about having a, a practice habit, developing a practice habit because it does take time to make changes. So it needs to be a really consistent, manageable um, practice habit and that's going to uh, that's what you'll that's what you'll find explained throughout probably both of our approaches is is how to how to manage that and would i be right in sort of suggesting you know i put this to both of you that we we don't want extra load there we don't want them to be thinking about uh, about the organization of their writing whilst also practicing handwriting we're trying to reduce a a cognitive load there absolutely yeah totally handwriting practice yes and then you know helping children though to be aware when they come to do some uh writing so one thing i like is you know handwriting practice is separate but when they come to do their everyday work just getting them to write one word that's that maybe is their target letter at the top before they start writing so that that's bringing handwriting into consciousness a little bit before they get engaged 
and then reflecting at the end and writing another word that has their target letter in at the end. And it's all about helping them become aware. This is totally the reason why um, we shouldn't be teaching phonics and handwriting together. And I'm campaigning um, to government about this and, and hopefully they're listening to me um, because they, the phonics are very, very different to the handwriting families and we, we shouldn't be doing two tasks at the same time. So let, let's hope that that you know, is something that changes in the future. I don't um, know about you, Sue, but do you, I often sometimes teachers say to me, um, we haven't got time to do handwriting because we're doing phonics. Yeah, and no, we, there, there's a missing of that 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 link. But what I do often is, you know, you do your handwriting practice, and then you've got a perfect re resource to use to do some phonic work around what you've been doing in your handwriting practice. But it doesn't work the other way around. It's it's got to you've got to dedicate that to to the, to the process of handwriting practice very specifically, haven't we? Absolutely. I've got two pioneering schools in London that are absolutely doing that and, and using it the other way around. And it's working incredibly well. Um, so we have to look to different ways of teaching. Uh, and this is knowledge. And this is why it's so important that experts like Nikki and I, myself are talking to teachers and, and training teachers and going out into universities. And, you know, universities open up to us so that we can come in and give you the value of our knowledge and our experience so that we can help teachers to, to get it on the curriculum to get it into the classroom and to have really good teaching and we've just had a text in there from one of our listeners saying yep keep ha phonics and handwriting separate totally agree now i'm afraid we, we are rapidly coming to the end i should say to anyone listening that there is going to be you know another handwriting episode next week so if you want to join us then or if you want to share anything you can message me uh, dm me on twitter um join us back next week we'll certainly join me back next week um where hopefully we'll be talking to possibly some other people about handwriting i want to get one last thing in and is going to have to be a yes no love it hate it because i'll have to take this on to my next show but sue um pen licenses hate it <laughs> and nikki pen licenses hate with a passion yeah discriminatory go. absolutely everybody in, saying hate with a passion yeah um, every child in year four should be given a pen regardless and taught how to use it correctly Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you both so much for giving up your time to to share this. And it is really important. It is really, I, for me, something that, that's missing. And I feel, you know, looking back on it, I was a senior leader instigating things that I really had no clue about. And I imagine there are other people who, if they were to reflect honestly, probably uh, would feel the same. And so it is really important. So thank you both. You're very welcome. Thanks Thank for you. having us. <laughs> yeah, Thank thanks, you. Nathan. Thank you. Uh, and good night to everyone out there. We will see you same time next week. Uh, thank you again, guys. Off we go. Nostar, everyone. Good night. Cheers. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.